Well, man, thank you guys. Thank you, Pastor BJ. Thank you, Pastor Justin, for leading us this morning. Thank you, Stephanie, for leading for us as well. And uh, we just appreciate you guys gathering with us here this Lord's Day to worship the person and work of Jesus. And so I count it a privilege um, to be a part of you and to get this opportunity to preach and teach God's Word in this place. Um, If you're new to mission, my name is Eric Baker, and I'm one of the pastors um, here and have the responsibility of of leading our church through preaching and teaching, kind of vision casting. Um, If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter um, 12, is what we'll be covering here today. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably a Bible laying on the floor um, near to you. Um, Feel free to use uh, that Bible. Uh, If you don't own a Bible... Um, That is our gift to you. Please take that with you. Uh, We would love for you to have uh, that text and for you to be able to follow alongside of us. Also, as you came in, you probably got a weekly or a listening guide. Um, There's some fill-in-the-blanks. If you're not a fill-in-the-blank person, that's not a test. There's no test at the end of this. You can't stand before God and hand them your weekly, all right? Uh, But if you like to, if you're a nerd um, like me, and you like to take notes because if you don't, you get distracted, or if you also are a doodler like me and you need a free place to doodle, Go for it. Knock yourself out. Um, So today we will begin a new sermon series called the Gospel-Centered Church. And so when we look at this today, we're going to explore for the rest of Romans. We've been working through this book for almost um, two years off and on. And so um, here in the next few months, we'll eventually end this. But between um, chapters 12 and 16, we're really going to be focusing on on what does it mean to be a gospel-centered church. And if you don't know what that means, or those big fancy terms for you or something, just hold on with me. I'll explain it here in just a few moments. Now, when I was uh, getting married and dating Laura, um, you've always heard this statement, and I heard it more when we were in our engagement period. And that is this, is that you truly do not know a person until you live with them. Right? You can have a best friend, and you guys be best friends, then move in with each other, and then after living with them, quickly realize, man, this there's some major issues here. It was great when you weren't living with each other, all right? You were great friends, hanging out, things were cool. You start living with them, you start seeing what they're like when they wake up, when they go to bed, all of those sorts of things, and it can become very, very difficult to live with somebody. I mean, even after Laura and I have been together now 12 years of marriage, um, looking at this, um, that they, we both have things that get on our nerves within our home, all right? Um, so with Laura, I have a tendency to leave a book in every room of our house. Um, there are books strode out all over the place. Um, I am a hoarder of all things paper, um, I'm afraid that if I write something or if somebody hands me something or like weekly cards here, I have them strolled all over our house. They're probably in every drawer and I'm scared to death to throw these things away. It's, it's my thing. It's, it's one of these things though that desperately gets on my wife's nerves. Um, you know, for months we told people I didn't have an office. I just said, I have a house. It's all my office. All right. And Laura gets on to me. Quasi nags me about it um, a lot. 
And I keep saying, I'll do better, I'll do better, I'll do better. She even got me like a little desk to put this on, and does it help? No. (laughs) All right. But the thing is, what I've noticed about my wife is she loves to leave lights on. Especially her closet light, whom no one lives in there. But there are clothes. It's her house for her clothes, shoes, stuff. I'm noticing that my section is getting smaller and smaller as she begins to add her stuff to it. And she always leaves the light on. And so I walk in after Laura gets home from um, school and those sorts of things, and I'm like, it's still on, just so you know. Light, all right? So the thing is, is like, she's got issues. Thank you, Pastor. See, I'm finally getting some help in here, all right? My wife has issues. She brings things to the table, all right? I had no idea. Now, if I was to ask her dad, Larry, who's here, did Laura leave on lights at your house? Maybe he could have warned me, okay? But at my house, she brings issues to the table, yet simultaneously in our marriage, I as well bring issues. Thank you. Thank you again for helping me out. So we have these issues. We bring things that frustrate us to death. We have things that, man, it wasn't the way that I grew up in my house. It wasn't the way that she grew up in her house. These two philosophies collide at 74 Ivy Farms somewhere in this town, all right? So in that, though, um, I could go, all right, if she leaves the light on one more time, I'm out of here, right? Or, because she's my best friend, because I'm in covenant relationship with her, because she's my wife, we've, we have come together and promised before God and all of those witnesses that were there on that day that we would live our lives and we promised each other that we would never divorce each other. All right, So that means, because of that covenant, I am going to both receive the many, many blessings that come from Laura being my wife and from me to her. But simultaneously, that means I'm going to put up with a lot of stuff that drives me absolutely crazy. Okay? And, and those things, it's, it's what happens when people are a family, when people live together. All right? Now, the question is, is how do you respond to the things that you don't like? And how do you respond to the things that you don't, or you, that you really do like? This is what it means to be a family and how you're going to interact as a family as you both bring your stuff to that family nucleus you're going to have lots of issues and lots of blessings well paul is a smart guy all right um, it's believed biblically that he has probably up to this stage um, two equivalents to probably two PhDs. This dude is a nerd who loves Jesus and will also is good with the sword because pre-Jesus he was a bad man all right So this is a ninja, Bible-wielding dude, all right? And, and, And he realized, because we are yet to be in heaven, that amongst the family of God, when you get people from all different worldviews, from all different ways of life, things, you know, the way in which you do things, and you bring those people together, there are going to be a, a bucket load, a bountiful amount of blessing. And yet simultaneously, everyone who comes in a part of that, from the preacher to the smallest newborn baby, is going to add an element of difficulty. Because all those people are 
different. The question becomes then, how do we respond? How do we respond then as a family? How do we respond as a church? Do we simply just pull away? Do we just push away from the table? Do we just run from the issues and just, man, I know I've got stuff, but your stuff is worse than my stuff, and so that your stuff really makes me mad, and I want you to show me grace toward mine, but I'm not going to show you grace toward yours. Paul is going to dive in over the last section. Remember, Paul is writing to this church at Rome, and he's been expounding now for 11 chapters on the power of the gospel. And he's been very doctrinal. He's been very heady. He's been very, um, this is the depths of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so there's not been a lot of application in an American westernized Christianity for the most part. That's what we've really come accustomed to when it comes to church, right? Is we just want some application. Just help me make my life better. Give me the best life now. All right. So I want five points to be a better dad, seven points to have better intimacy in my marriage, eight points to not kill your boss. I mean, whatever it is, we like to get these points because it's application, and that's what we want from church. And we leave, and we go, that was really good, and we don't do anything about it, but we got a lot of application points. So Paul has taken this time to expound heavily on this love letter of the gospel, but he's going to spend these last few chapters really giving us application. So those of you who have been a part of mission um, since our beginning, and we've been going through the book of Romans, you're finally like, yes! Finally, Pastor Eric is going to give us some application, because for two years, we have it. Okay? And that application is going to deal directly, how are we going to function as a church, as a congregation? You know, if you have your Bibles, turn with me there. Let's read it again. This first section here, chapter 12 uh, in the book of Romans, verse 1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God of God. The first thing that we need to understand if we're going to be a a gospel-centered church is that it must be in view of God's what? Mercies. Okay? Notice that Paul is transitioning thought here again. The book of Romans can be broke up in the several different ways. We've learned over the last several chapters about, again, the depths of this gospel. We've seen in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 320, um, that man is sinful and deserve the wrath of God. We have seen in Romans 3, 21 through 521, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith and in Christ alone. We have seen in Romans 6, 1 um, through 839, that God is faithful in his promise toward his children. And we have seen in our last sermon series in Romans 9 through 11, that God will not fail in salvation of his children because of the doctrine of election, his character, and his mission. And so in view of the gospel that we've heard about over 11 chapters, in view of this, When you look at this, some of your translations probably say, in view of the gospel, the ESV translates it by the gospel or or by the mercies, all right? That in view of looking at something, 
in focusing, having tunnel vision on the mercies of God or the gospel, then we must see how this is now illustrated and how it plays out in the life of the church. Okay? Um, A lot of times we can get so wrapped up in the doctrinal statements of Romans that we forget that it's really about the gospel. And that is deep. Okay, But he was not writing a systematic theology. He was writing a love letter explaining the gospel depths to these people, realizing the deeper that we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, that should propel us in spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so notice, what does he say? He notice he directs this comment to who? The brothers. Now, ladies, I think that includes you. All right, just a general terminology for... Um, brothers and sisters in Christ. Who makes up the brothers and sisters in Christ? Those whom God has saved. This is also known as the church. Brother is a family term. I've told you guys before, I grew up in a church where everybody was brother so-and-so. Anybody go to that church with me? All right. You went to sister so-and-so's church. All right. And usually brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, they were the real leaders of the church. And you didn't want to rub them the wrong way, all right? Because brother or sister will come get you, like Medea movies and Tyler Perry's, all right? I mean, she will come get you because this is sister so-and-so's church. When I still go to my church that I grew up in, as soon as I walk in, it's brother Eric, all right? And I've been far removed from that place, but it's still, you're, you're my brother, okay? This is a term of endearment, all right? It's a term of family, So in turn, we must understand that the church is a family. Now, I realize that as soon as I start saying that the church is a family, some of you guys come from dysfunctional, crazy families. And so you're like, oh, no, I don't want the church to be like a family. My family be crazy. All right. A few weeks ago, we had a, um, our fall bash that some of you guys attended with. It was a great time out in the middle of a field where my family grew up. Lots of memories at this, uh, at this farm. And I literally have a cousin, Eddie. Now, it's coming up for Christmas time, and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is one of my all-time favorite movies. And there is a cousin, Eddie, in that movie, right? They're real close. (laughs) My cousin, Eddie, and cousin Eddie from National Lampoon's. But you got to meet family, and family brings lots of different personalities to the table. And so it is with the church. Even with all of its issues, even with all of its, its dysfunctional attitudes and, and, and all the personalities, the gospel family, the church, is a family. And so if you have family issues, you got to leave those at the door. You need to understand God's family is much better than your earthly one. And one day that family is going to be made perfect. So brother and brother will act at like Jesus in that relationship. You are my sisters in Christ, those of you that are ladies, and we will act perfectly in that relationship. It's going to be really interesting to see how our relationships are perfected in glory. Amen? I need some relationships perfected in glory. True? All right, y'all going to have to wake up now. Okay, help me. All right, so when we see this, we see the power of family. If you come from a great family, realize that is the grace of God. It's the grace of God that you did. And so when you see that happening in the family that we call the church, man, embrace that. Thank God. 
Man, some of us came from situations where our parents didn't know what in the heck they were doing. It's by the grace of God that we're still here. Some of us have amazing parents. It's by the grace of God that we're still here. All right? And so when it comes to us as a church and being the family of God, we must be a group of people that are centered in living the gospel by the gospel. This is what it means to be a gospel-centered church. Let me give you a more formal definition. The gospel-centered church is a community of believers in which the whole of its life and its activities are shaped are shaped by the content and imperatives of the gospel. I'll read it again. A gospel-centered church is a community of believers in which the whole of its life and activities are shaped by the content and imperatives of the gospel. All right? Now, here's the thing. We must do as Paul has told us and reminded us here. He says the word therefore. Now, here's a little pithy seminary statement for you, a preacher statement for you. Anytime you read in the Bible, therefore, you always ask the question, what's it there for? Okay? Now, what is it there for? All of the previous 11 chapters. This is the gospel. So, therefore, brothers, I urge you, in view of all of this stuff, the fall of humanity, justification by faith, God's promises in salvation. He will complete what he will complete by his sovereign power and election. We have seen all of this. He's not done with Israel. He is not done with the Gentiles. In view of all of those things that we see in Scripture, now let's go. Let's live. Let's act. Let's respond in this way. If we don't understand, ladies and gentlemen, and respond as a church in view of the gospel, then we will become legalist or religious robots who can do the activity of God perfectly, but do not have the heart of worship. Without a heart of worship towards Jesus, one will become rusty, calloused, and stiff at mission. And our desire is to be a people, a community of faith um, that we have That when peered into, um, people will find a culture of grace, a culture of mercy, a culture of mission, a culture of gospel, a culture of authenticity, a culture of care, a culture of openness, and a culture of holiness. We at Mission want to be a Christ-centered faith family that understands by the gospel we have been saved, by the gospel we will remain saved, and by the proclamation of the gospel from our lips, God will save us others. So this is why it's important for us to realize that the gospel of Jesus Christ has saved us and yet simultaneously it will keep us saved. And if you're wondering what your purpose is, college student to old dude or old woman, the reality is your purpose is to worship Jesus in view of his mercy and grace upon your life. Now some of you are going to do it by being a teacher. Some of you are going to be a full-time missionary in a foreign country. Others of you may be a professional basket weaver. Whatever it is, God has called you to do that specifically in worship and in honor of him. And as you are going, be a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in view of the gospel, knowing what the gospel is, the whole gospel picture. If you're having a good day, you know what you can say? It's because of the gospel. 
If you're having a terrible, no good, rotten, awful, bad day, you know what you can do? I'm going to get through this. You know why? Because the gospel, all right? God has created all things. Man is fallen. God has redeemed us through the person work of Jesus. And at one day, he is going to restore all things to his will and glory. And he's called us to respond. You can take every aspect, your marriage. You know what's going to make your marriage work? Gospel played out at home. You know what's going to make you be a man? Gospel You know what's going to make you be a woman? Gospel. You know how you need to learn how to be a better parent? Gospel. All right? Relationships that are broken with people that you work with in your neighborhood, in your community. What's going to make that work? Gospel. Going back to that same message over and over. It's not just simply saying the word gospel. All right? Preachers all the time can say the name Jesus in a church and in a sermon and it not be about Jesus. Okay? The gospel message of Jesus, true proclamation, begins to transform our very existence. When you have prosperity, remember, it's gospel. That's grace. In the midst of suffering, it's gospel. All right? Get the picture. Let's get with it. If our church is centered on anything other than the gospel, one of two things will happen. Okay? If our church is centered on anything other than the gospel. You need to pay attention to this because it's going to seem really strange. If our church is centered on anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, the person and work of Jesus, if we are proclaiming any other message other than the cross and resurrection of Jesus, one of two things will happen. The first thing is this church will explode numerically. Yes, you heard me right. It will explode numerically. Because we can, a false gospel draws people. It does. You can flip on, quote-unquote, Christian television, and a lot of times if you really pay attention to what's being said, there's a lot of false gospel. And yet those rooms are filled with people. I mean, I realize in church planning, the the nature of the beast is, 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 let me give you a little insight, all pastors want a lot of people to come. They do. Every one of us want a lot of people to come hear them talk. Hear us talk. It's in us. All right? Now, all of that is bad. All right? We should want to draw people as long as we're drawing them to the person and work of Jesus. But when we're drawing them to ourselves, we can become very popular in, in celebrity Christianism. There have always been celebrity pastors. That's not a new thing. It has always been that way, even from the Bible. Right? Paul, you know him. Apollos, we know him. All right, the disciples, these weren't just known in a small community, they were known all over. But when it becomes about their celebrity, then we begin to draw people. We can entice people. Hey, man, think about this. If you're struggling today and you're having money issues, and I tell you, all right, man, all you got to do is sow some faith money. Just sow faith money. And God's going to bring it back to you tenfold. Anybody ever heard that sermon before? And it becomes popular. Churches are filled with it. They'll tell you to bring that money, slap it at the altar, and they'll dance all over your money. Because, well, they know. There's going to be a coming by with a bucket of KFC, an empty bucket of KFC later, scoop all of that up. All right? And, 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 And it's attractive to people. It's playing on poverty. It's called the prosperity gospel. All right? 
These things are our mass. So one of the things that begins to happen, if we become off-centered from the gospel, this church could grow. Isn't that scary? The next thing that could happen, though, is if we become off-center from the gospel and presenting the gospel and living out the personal work of Jesus, it could fall apart. It could fall apart. When we become consumed with petty, open-handed, non-biblical issues, the temptation is, or usually the second tier of that, what begins to trickle into churches, whether it's a church plant or a church that's been going on for years and years and years, is what begins to happen is, is there becomes gossip, a negative spirit, and division within the church. So what was once tight, what was once a family, what begins to happen is, is, is non-biblical issues. We here at Mission, we use the terminology that there are closed-handed issues. There are closed-handed theological things that we will beat you to death with these things. All right? If you can't hold on to these things, this isn't the place for you. All right? Like Jesus is the Son of God. Like Jesus is the only way to heaven. The virgin birth. We believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You are not saved by your works. You are saved by Jesus. All right? These are all, and there are more of those, but these are all things that we will fight for you over. On the other hand, these are open-handed issues. These are things that we do not know. All right? If you have a creation diagram tattoo on your back, God bless you. You made a mistake. (laughs) All right? We'll use the southern term here. Bless your heart. Okay? Awesome! All right? You're amazing. Okay? If you're into all of that, and you've got charts for that, man, that's great. There's a time and place for us to talk about creationism. But the thing is, is I wasn't there. And neither were you. And there are lots of things, I believe that Christians can be old earth Christians, if you know what that means. I believe they can also be new earth Christians, and they're both Christians. The thing is, is we weren't there, okay? And all we can do is try our very best to see what was happening. The main component of creation, you know what that is? God did it. He did it, all right? And so, but if you come in here, man, you're like, Everyone in here must believe that there were dinosaurs on the ark. Or you're going to hell. Man, this this isn't a place for you. That's an open-handed issue. Okay? If you have charts, all right, for when Jesus is coming back, I'm glad that you know that because the Bible tells us only God does. But he has in some way blessed you with ability to do what he hasn't even told Jesus because Jesus even says only the Father knows that. Okay, But if you're really in to Jesus, he's going to hover us up. Like he's got a giant vacuum. We call this the rapture, right? You suck all the Christians. And then in case of car or in case of rapture, you can have my car or you can have this T-shirt because my clothes and underwear and everything is just going to fall to the ground and we're going to heaven. All right. If you believe that, awesome. Good. Okay. If you believe in not the rapture, Awesome. Good. Okay? You know what the reality is? None of us know. We don't know. All right? We're trying our very best. That's an open-handed issue. You know what the closed-handed issue with, with Jesus? Is he's coming back. 
That's the close-handed issue. How he's going to orchestrate all of that, and if we should be worried about Osama bin Laden and um, Obama being the Antichrist, that's none of my business. All right? The close-handed issue is that Jesus is going to return. But how many of you guys have ever been a part of a church split or a mass exodus from a church? Most of them are not over biblical closed-handed issues. Let's face it, most of them are open, over open-handed issues. You didn't like the way that they were doing something. Or they chose the wrong color carpet and you're really ticked about it. Okay? Or they started, they went from serving Dojo Donuts to Krispy Kreme and you think Dojo's better and so you're leaving and you don't like it. We shouldn't be having donuts at church at all. All right? Those are all open-handed issues based around your personal preference. But let's just be really honest, church people. If you're a church per- if you're not a church person, we're sorry. This is dumb. It is. If you're a church person, it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. All right? And yet, what happens when you get off center from the gospel? Those are the type of things that begin to work themselves in and people begin to gossip and they like to go out and they like to to just cause little trickling of dissent. No one will come out and say, I hate our pastor, I hate our church, I hate all those things. What typically happens is, is in small little groups you begin to whisper. And those are the whispers of Satan himself. Those are the whispers of Satan himself. It causes division. It causes brokenness. That's why we must be centered in the person and work of Jesus and what he has done. That's why Paul says, in view of these things, brothers, in view of these things, a loss of gospel centrality causes many issues in the church that not only causes deep scars in people, but also is a terrible witness to the rest of the world. I mean, think about it. How many people won't go to church, and it's typically because they've been hurt by someone in the church or about a church split or, or something like that. We can get distracted by a lot of things in the world and in the church and in the organization of the church. However, Paul really wants to encourage um, the people to understand that it is, is to keep the gospel at the center of everything and to set our sails toward true north. And that true north is Jesus and his power and the cross and the resurrection. And that we can debate a lot of things out here in the peripheral issues. And that should not be a test of fellowship. It shouldn't be a breaking of fellowship. But the gospel must be centered in what we do. For us to function as a church in a way that is healthy and pleasing to God, then we must keep our eyes on the gospel by which we have been saved. If you have been shown mercy, what should you do? Show mercy. If you have been shown love, church, what should you do? Show love. If you have been shown grace, we should show grace. So in view of the gospel, how do we as Mission Church stay on course? Because for our entire existence, and, and I hope that this church has a, an amazing legacy that from 200 years from now and beyond, that this, this, this body of believers is still meeting and gathering. This is not a one-generational vision that we have here. Okay? This is a a legacy to be left here. So how do we stay on course? We first started church planting. Um, Our little core group, me and my wife, 
we were completely centered on the gospel. And little by little, when your church grows, that becomes more difficult. All right? Because everybody's got opinions, like belly buttons, right? But just like people's belly buttons, not everybody should see yours. All right? And so the, the temptation, though, is, is as you grow. Um, when I asked Pastor Justin, he's like, dude, I'm on board. All right, if you're on board, then Timothy, you got to come alongside me. Because if I die, this bad boy is yours. Okay? It's in our, there's no question. If I die today, Justin Crow's your pastor. All right? Um, and, and in that, though, I was like, as, as we go further in here, man, when it was me, Justin, Laura, Stephanie, and my sister and Todd, because they didn't have a choice where they went to church after I came back, still pretty easy. More and more people start feeling like they're called to be a part of this thing. It's awesome. But it also brings new challenges. Okay? Um, the blessing of having Pastor, Just, uh, Pastor BJ join Justin and I is a beautiful blessing. But you know what? BJ isn't Justin. Justin isn't me. I'm not BJ. Those calls for differences of just the way in which you function. And that's beautiful. Because at the center of it must be the gospel, all right? Because the, the gospel and the beauty of the gospel being centered on the gospel totally transforms our congregation and our church. So when we look at this idea, the, the thing that you need to get is that the gospel church, this is one of your points, the gospel church, a gospel-centered church, must have gospel-centered members, okay? You did not come to church this morning. Get this out of your vocabulary. The church is not a building. The church is a people. All right? We do not go to church. We do not go to worship. You are always the church. You are always worshiping. All right? So it's important for us to get this idea that if we are going to be a healthy body of believers, if we're going to be healthy, biblical Gospel-centered believers as a congregation, as a group of people, as a church, then that must start with you and me as individuals. Okay? Listen to what he says here. Let's keep reading our text. He says, Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and perfect and acceptable. All right? Acceptable and perfect. All right, so Paul paints this picture. He says, okay, brothers, in view of God's mercy, because of God's mercy, because of his grace, because of his love, because of the gospel, all these sorts of things, then there is a response to that, and that is that we are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Now, where do we get this? Because all of a sudden, y'all are thinking, I'm starting to listen to Black Sabbath. Everybody's going to start wearing fake goat heads, wearing robes. We're going to, oh, into a room. There's going to be like a stone, and we've got some virgin laying across it. We're about to kill this girl, all right? Not what we're talking about here, all right? The idea of living sacrifices is an Old Testament terminology. What are the Jews used to? What is the Old Testament that whenever God makes a covenant, a covenant is always cut? Something bleeds. 
Typically, something dies. There is a sin offering. In the Old Testament, um, to cover one's sins for a while, for a season, you would have to offer a lamb, an animal, a dove, um, all these sorts of things. We see the first issue between Cain and Abel is over what? The sacrificial system. Abel gave his very best. Cain gave his crumbs. That upset God. God blessed Abel. It ticked off Cain. Cain became jealous of Abel and killed him over this. All right? The sacrificial system of the Old Testament, Paul is using this. He's alluding to this. No one in the Old Testament believed that their sins would be covered forever and ever at the sacrifice of a lamb. It was all a foreshadowing, a foretelling of the ultimate lamb of God. His name is Jesus that would die and cover them for good. I am thankful this morning that Pastor Justin didn't have to bring one of his goats he owns to church this morning for us to sacrifice. I mean, could you imagine? Um, all right, um, uh, Pastor uh, Justin, I need you to be in charge of the goat uh, this week or the lamb this week and bring that to church, you know, make sure it's really spotless. It doesn't have like, you know, uh, two mouths or two heads. It's got to be a perfect lamb that you need to bring uh, to us today. I mean, wouldn't you like that job? No. Praise be to God that we don't have to sacrifice animals in this place today. Why? Because Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. And yet, Paul is going to use this imagery to help the believers, the church, the family of God, individuals whom have been saved by God, to get this message. That what? We lay our bodies on an altar before God. Not to be killed and stopped and stamped out. But we lay our bodies on the altar of God and we remain living for Him. See, a lot of people in church have seemingly laid themselves upon the altar only to sit there. And yet that's not the call of the gospel. That's not what Paul is getting at here. God, as he views the sacrificial system, it had to be a perfect Lamb, right? It had to be your best grain. It had to be the best doves that you could provide. When the gospel infuses itself into these systems, it's not that God is is asking that you be a perfect person. Guess what? He's already made you perfect. Thank you, Jesus. All right? So he's not asking for perfectionism just dreamed up from your existence. But he is calling you as a person to offer your very best of your life's existence to the work of the gospel. God desires the very best of you. The very best. Not your crumbs. Not your leftovers. I hate leftovers. I can't stand them. I don't know what it is. I'm like the girl from the, uh, what is that movie, Signs, who leaves the water everywhere because she thinks it gets dirty. I'm the same way about leftovers. I don't know what it is. I know I'm weird. That's okay. So when we see this, it's important for us to gather that God doesn't want that. He wants your very best. Does your private life affect your family? Yes. What you do in private affects your family. What you do with just your husband or wife or your children or your interactions with others can affect a lot of people. All right? In the same way, the church also exists. 
You as an individual and what you do with your existence greatly affects every one of us. Greatly. I, I grieve this morning, as Pastor BJ was sharing with uh, myself and Pastor Justice this morning, I won't mention any names, but we learned this week of a, a, of a church who's been going a while, seeming having gospel influence, in the middle of the congregation, while they were having worship last Sunday, a young lady stands up and goes, hey, I just think everybody should know that I'm sleeping with the pastor. Now, none of y'all are going to say that, because if you do, you're a liar. Because <laughs> that ain't happening. All right? This is my wife. All right? And when I'm not in the doghouse, she lets me get in the bed. All right? Uh, and so... That is serious, right? What he was doing in private has collateral damage to the family of God. Not only his own family, but the family of God. There is a church that is deeply grieving today. On Monday, he refused to resign. His staff walked out on him. They should have. They should have. Why? Because your private life affects your, pur- your public life. Ladies and gentlemen, what you're doing, whether it's self-consciously or not, what you're doing with your mind, your thoughts, your activities, when you're not with this here as a family greatly affects us. And we may not know what it is, but it's affecting us even with, if we don't realize it. It does. And if I'm secretly a drunk behind Laura's back, she may never find out that I'm a drunk, but it could greatly affect our relationship in other ways. Why is he being irritable all the time? Why do we have a, a hole in our money? Why is he gone all the time? And it could have great effect in that, right? In the same way, so is our church life. We are called to worship. The question isn't, um, what are you going to worship? The question is always, to whom or what are you worshiping? Every one of us are called to worship Jesus. That means to put utmost worth toward Him. Okay, But this is how we do in our Christian lives a lot of times. is what, Whatever is left, that's what we give to God. All right? And yet God says, you got to give me the best of what you got. Every other relationship gets what is left. With your pastors and guys that I disciple, I work through this um, kind of a rubric with them. And that is their man, their hearts. Where's your heart? Because if your pastor's heart or your heart is rotten or if my heart is rotten, that's going to affect everything that we do. So we spend a majority of our time as pastors on our pastors meeting talking about our hearts. What's going on with our hearts? The second thing is, is what's going on in your marriage. All right? What's going on in your marriage with your kids, your family, all those sorts of things. And then the last thing on your list is ministry. I know from experience, man, anytime you put ministry above your heart and your marriage, that is dangerous. Dangerous. That's the trap that a lot of us as pastors fall into. So our heartbeat must be in view of God and what he has going on. Paul tells us here to do something. He says to sacrifice my body. That's one of your points. Point A, sacrifice my body. My body. So what does he mean by that? All right. 
I don't think that God is talking about your physical weight. Should we take care of ourselves? Yes. But I think that there is something deeper here that Paul is getting at. Because of the gospel, we must ask ourselves this question. How do you use your hands? How do you use your feet? How do you use your mouth? How do you use your sexual desires? How do you use your ears? Literally. How are those things reflecting that these things belong to God? I think a lot of that question is, is how do you work? How do you recreate? How do you function? Where do you go? What do you see? What do you listen to? Ladies and gentlemen, and I'm about to sound really crazy, but it's, this is old school, right? Garbage in, garbage out. Okay? Because God is determining of those things. The other day I was singing an inappropriate song because the hooks in today's music is awesome. And my little daughter goes around the house. Mama, she told me, don't worry about your size. All right? All this sort of stuff. And it's like, oh, that's, that's good. Little girls, they've got self-conscious issues. They shouldn't be worrying about their size. Right? The thing is, the next line in the song talks about why she shouldn't worry about her sizes because, excuse my language here, um, guys like a little more booty to hold on to at night. So everybody's like, yeah, this is awesome. Shake it off. Yeah. Oh. All right? So we see all of this. And, and it's our culture, right? We walk into a store, and it's like, booty, 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 yeah. And I'm like, I go home, and I'm like singing about booty. <laughs> Without even recognizing it. From the hours of 7 to 10 every night, we're just watching people have sex. Let's be honest. Would it be okay for you to peer into my life? If that was me on the screen? So why is it allow, are we allowed to, to peer into that for someone else's life? It's, it's, it's softcore porn. I mean, I will never eat at a few restaurants. I try not to. Let me say never. I don't want to blanket that because I don't want to be a liar. But there are certain restaurants I try not to go to because I'm tired of seeing half-naked... Well, I, no, I like seeing half-naked girls on top of the hoods of cars eating hamburgers. That's really difficult to explain to my daughter. Okay? It's enticing us in with what? Sexual desires. Like those girls really eat those burgers. <laughs> right? Ain't no paleo in that burger. All right? Rice cake. She's like... <laughs> she's fake eating it, all right? But, I mean, think about it. This is, God is asking us, what are we doing with our bodies? Literally, are you a hard worker at your job? Because your hard work is reflective of the gospel. What you watch, what you see, what you listen to, all of things, do those things save you by not listening to them? No, that's not what he's saying. He is saying, though, you should sacrificially turn it off, whatever it is, for the sake of the gospel message of Jesus. Quit filling your lives, quit filling my life with all of this garbage and fill it with the word of God. Fill it with him. 
Something that we often use around this place is the terminologies of the, th- the three T's. The time, your time, talent, and treasure. In membership, we talk about this. That as a member of Mission Church, we're going to ask you to give of your time, talent, and treasure. We need your time. Okay, Ministry takes time. You need to sacrifice some of your time for your church family. Isn't that what you do at home? I sacrifice some of my time for things to engage in my family. All right? I will step aside to allow them to come to the forefront. They do the same things for me. Being gospel-centered will require some of your time, whether that's set up, tear down, ministry, men's group, women's group, coming to a membership seminar, coming to a systematic Saturday um, being involved in people's lives, going for coffee with somebody, your family system that is built around, hey, on this night, I like to meet with these people. We need to work that into our family system, in our family calendar, where I can go and, and be sharpened by someone or disciple someone or them disciple me and, and me not feel bad for that. It requires time for us to be gospel-centered. The, the thing is, is the talent. God has given us all different talents in this room. All right? Different talents. You should be, you're probably using some of your talents in your workforce, right? You should be doing that for God. Simultaneously and revolving around the church, some of you are extremely talented. And we should be sacrificially offering those to the body of believers. This is a giftedness. Like my wife has the gift of shopping, she brings that to our marriage. This is a talent. It's a skill she learned from her parents. Okay? Die hard. All right? It, it is a skill. I'm not joking. This girl's got skills. All right? When we need something for the church, a lot of times I run things by her because I don't know if she's doing black market deals or what, but girl can find a deal. All right? It, and, and, and not everybody... I. You know, Pastor BJ has an amazing voice. We've been friends for a long time. I always thought, man, that BJ, he can sing. That brother can sing. I mean, God has given him that talent. He can do that. We're thankful that he shares that with us. Um, he has given me the, the, I'm an introvert, but he has called me to preach the gospel. And so this is as extrovert as I get right here. When I'm by myself or with a small group, I usually don't like to talk very much. Okay. And so I come out in this. This is what God has called me to do. But from a small child, he has given me the ability. My parents drug me up front, set me in front of people and said, perform. And that's what I did. I've done it my entire life. She tried to pull it at the hayride thing the other day. My mom tried to get me to perform for y'all. I'm like, you just put me on the spot. It doesn't work that way. All right. But he's given me this ability. Don't think that you are less than in the kingdom of God because you don't sing like a bird or can't yell and scream like I can. Some of you have the gifts of administration. We're going to talk about all of this stuff next week, but you need to give of your talent, your treasure, your treasure. Biblically speaking about giving, we do not pass the bucket. We do not pass the plate here. There's a reason for that. It's because I don't want you to experience Christian peer pressure. I don't want the whole, like, i got to pretend like i got change in my pocket. I'm going to drop it in the bag. And I don't want the, oh, I'm putting in a $1,000 check. I want everybody to see that. Bible says that you're supposed to come here having something already set aside. That's what the Scripture says. 
So when you give here, you can give it joyfully without just feeling the pressure like somebody's watching me or I want people to watch me because I'm giving. It does take money to do ministry. It does. And you do it because God has asked you. But it's not just money. Some of you have other giftedness. You have other things God has blessed you with that you could really change people's lives with the treasures that he has provided for you. You know? It's phenomenal to to look at these things. These are things that are extremely important to us. All right, so the next one is, he says, do not be conformed, all right? Do not be conformed to this world, all right? Um, In the actual Greek here, if you have your own Bible, circle, underline, square, box, the word world, This is one of those things we've been talking a lot about lately. It's in the Greek. It's not actually the word world. It's not even the word universe. It's actually the word age. All right? So Paul is saying, do not be conformed to this present age. All right? This present era. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern that it is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Each age, each era, battles different issues. Follow me? Seems to be a revolving door, but as that, as that circle takes place in this, um, this revolving door, we, we seem to battle with something, it goes away, then we'll battle with something else, it goes away, and then it comes back to the first one. You follow me, Okay. Every age, every era struggles with these things. It's what John would say is the system of darkness and the system of light in 1 John um, chapter 1, 5 through 6. We see this, that there's this, um, this tension between two systems, two cultures that are taking place simultaneously in this matter of time. There's a culture of darkness. You are either with Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, or you are with sin, Satan, and death. And those things are colliding constantly. So when we think about this in our current age, think of some of the issues that we have. Secularism. What is that? See if we battle with this. The belief that religion should not play a role in government, education, or other public parts of society. Do we struggle with that? Amen. Humanism. A system of values and beliefs that is based on the idea that people are basically good and that problems can be solved using reason instead of religion. You see that? Yes. Relativism, the belief that different things are true, right, etc., for different people or at different times, right? So what's right for you, what's true for you, is 100% true and right, even if it's not for me. And those two things do not contradict. Do you see that? That's the world that we live in. It's the belief that there is no absolute truth, which is the truth absolutely, Right? Religious pluralism, we covered this a few weeks ago. All religions are basically true and leading to the same God. Just believe in something. It's going to get you to God. So for me, I'm, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus. For you, you're a Muslim, you follow um, Muhammad, right? You listen to his teachings in order to get to Allah. Allah, God are the exact same. 
That's what people believe. That's what's popular. They are not the same. Not the same God. But that's what we preach in a lot of circles. Materialism. A way of thinking that gives too much importance to material possessions rather than to spiritual or intellectual things. You know, some random questions of our age. These are, some of these are silly that we have to ask. What is a man? Isn't that strange that we have to ask that question? What makes up a dude? Better yet, what bathroom does that dude use? Read the news, people. From elementary school to adulthood, that's a major question going on in our society. Major question. What is a woman? This week, one of the leading um, cosmetic just hired a transgender individual. This is a female company. Has just hired a transgender person to be its face, its new model. What is a woman? What is marriage? How do we find marriage? When is a baby really a baby? What is sex? Because animals have it with multiple partners. So should we. Because why? We are animals. Is the value of a dog more valuable than a person? Right? What is right and wrong? Is there such things as absolute truth? Paul faced specific issues in his era and in his age, and so do we. And yet, so we are being told here, do not conform to that. Do not look like that. I mean, it comes out all the time. We begin to see um, different stars who are claiming to be Christians and yet are simultaneously coming out toward real hot-button sort of issues in support of these things. And there's a world that's colliding as our square edges of being a Christian are beginning to be rounded off by the culture. And as we begin to embrace the culture, we begin to look a lot more like the culture than we do biblical Christianity. I can prove it to you this week. This week I was um, ministering, or not ministering, I was meeting with another pastor in our town, a, a local church. Man, we, we love this church, great place, doing some phenomenal things in our city, across the, the country, and across our world. And when I was talking to him, he was begin, we were talking about the state of Bowling Green, right? And we've got churches on every corner, and um, all these sorts of things, 100 and something churches, I believe, in Bowling Green. Did you know, ladies and gentlemen, that in Bowling Green, only 16% of our population is gathered for worship this morning? 16%. But that includes Protestantism, like us, so your Baptist, Methodist, all us, Catholicism, Muslims, Buddhism, Wicca, Baha'i, whatever it is, only 16% of our population in Bowling Green is worshiping this morning something with other people. 
And we don't need any more churches in Bowling Green. We don't need any more people being faithful. Everybody's Christian, right, in the South. But we do. This is our heartbeat. This is our desire. This is wise because the gospel transcends every age that has been or will come. It is the constant. It is the plumb line. It is our authority. It is our very purpose. This thing needs to explode. We need to be planting churches all over the place. We need to be living as missionaries all over the place. Wherever you go, seeking opportunities, praying for lost people, speaking the gospel into their lives because our world, our city is lost and undone. Even this one. This one. Major spiritual heritage in South Central Kentucky. I mean, you should read about what went on in Logan County during the Second Great Awakening. This is a major hub for Christendom in the early colonies. And yet, we have been conformed and have conformed ourselves as individuals and as churches to look more like the world than we do the Scripture. And Paul's saying, this is jacked up. You've got to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. The next thing that he says is, sacrifice your mind. To sacrifice your mind. All right? But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Christians, brothers, sisters, we should think differently. The gospel should cause in us to think about the world differently. It should make us go, man, there, I, that's a great beat to that song, but something isn't jiving here with what I'm seeing in Scripture and as I should live as a believer compared to this. But a lot of times we've just walking, we've become numb to sin, Satan, and death in our culture, haven't we? My mama, you know, I told her, uh, I love my mom, and please pray for my mom. My mom's having some major serious health issues. Um, it's not good. And I've told you guys, my mom calls bathroom words, she calls like certain words bathroom words, right? And when we were kids, um, we're big movie people and all this sort of stuff, and um, when we were kids, my mom would become very annoying when you're watching a movie, and they would use a bathroom word or a cuss word, because she'd be sitting there, and she'd be like, every time, oh Lord Jesus, in my line, can I get one witness? Mm, Jesus. All right. As a sermon illustration, it's stretching of the truth. Um, but, buddy, she kept watching that movie like that. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. You'll watch this later. Um, why? We come numb to it. I mean, I remember growing up in my parents' home, though, you know, we didn't use those sorts of words, and so whenever we would hear really foul language, you know what I'm talking about? It would make me go, just cringe a little bit, and I wouldn't go, shoo, like my mom. I mean, could you imagine me as a high school student? I would just be going, shoo, shoo, shoo. <laughs> right? But honestly, to hear some of that language anymore... It doesn't affect me why. I've conformed my brain. I've conformed my spirit. 
to what's acceptable amongst this world. Ladies and gentlemen, you should think about what you read. Okay? And ladies, let me say this. Because guys get really harped on about pornography. And pornography is the devil. It is feeding, sex trafficking. I want you to know. It is. Is it a temptation for me? Yes. Is it a temptation for you? Yes. Okay? That's just keeping it real. It is. It is a huge temptation. But simultaneously, so are those raunchy, nasty books that some of you read. They are equivalent. They are. And it's the feeding of your mind or creating in you a false reality that your husband or future husband can never live up to. Why would you want to sleep with a part wolf boy anyway? That's so wrong in so many levels. But that's not for today. But we're like, ooh. It's sexual perversion masquerading in a book form. And it is from sin, Satan, and death whispering into the heart and the fallen woman, just like a man looking at a naked woman that does, is not his wife does the exact same thing. But we're filling our minds with this garbage. We are. And that, please hear me. Man, I got struggles, I've got temptations, all right? I'm just saying, we, gotta, we, we collectively, as a family, as individuals, have to be very cautious of these things. He tells us our minds need to be transformed. Our, filling our heads with video games all the time, or movies, or TV, or raunchy books, pornography, consumerism. Our conversation, are they marked more by the word and the gospel of God, or about the latest fashion? Who slept with who? What's on your favorite TV show? Going to the gym, sports, hunting, joke, well, not hunting, mark that one off. Um, jokes, YouTube videos, whatever it is. Stop filling your brains. Let us stop filling our brains with this garbage. It is affecting you. And if it's affecting you, it's affecting us as the family of God. And it is so enticing. It is. So enticing for us. And yet, he tells us, and I I don't have time, but in Romans chapter 1, we'll go through this through our MC groups this week then, because I'm not going to have time to get done. Romans chapter 1, we see this taking place, this issue with our minds. We see this in Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 24. We see an issue taking place that there needs to be a renewal of our minds. We got, as people used to tell me when I was a kid, stinking thinking and our thinking needs to change and be aspired and pointed to the person and work of Jesus on an individual basis or it will never be for us corporately we see this again in Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 11 let me read this real quick set your minds on things that are above and not on this earth underline the word that says transformed in the greek that is actually the word that we get metamorphosis from it's the idea of a caterpillar changing into a butterfly 
that because Jesus has saved us, there is a metamorphosis that takes place. It is impossible for that butterfly to become a caterpillar again. And in the same way, it should be impossible. It is for the authentic, true believer in Jesus. It is impossible for you to go from being a a butterfly in Christ, a person in Christ who has been radically transformed, to going back to being a person who is full of sin, Satan, and death. That's not the way that grace works. It's not the way that mercy works. It's not the way that salvation, sanctification, being filled with the Holy Spirit works. If God has changed you, you are changed indeed. That's why we look on that. We focus on that. And so when we fall into reading stuff we shouldn't read, watching stuff we shouldn't watch, um, looking at stuff we shouldn't look at, gossiping, hating on each other, lying, all these things as individuals, failing to be the husband, failing to be the wife, failing to be the child, the parent, any of these sorts of things. What do we do? We go back to the gospel. When you see a brother and sister falling in Christ and, and they're falling away and they're drifting away, the unloving thing to do is not to say anything. The loving thing to do is say, brother, what about the gospel? Let's get back to the gospel. If you really love your wife, come bring her back to the gospel. If you love your husband, bring her back to the gospel. If you screw up as a father, one of the best things you can do is go to your child and say, Daddy messed up. That's why Daddy needs the gospel too. Bringing back in view of God's gospel, it changes our life. Last thing, let me give you this, and then we've got to be quiet. God says, sacrifice your will. Sacrifice your will by testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God wants your best. Even Jesus illustrates this. Not my will, but your will be done. Ladies and gentlemen, your actions will always follow what you believe. Not what you say you believe, but what you truly believe. This is not my life. If it was up to my choosing, I'd have the wife I have. I'd have the kids I have. But I would be either an NBA all-star or a rock and roller on tour or a movie star. If it was about me. But God has called me to do this. He has called you to do whatever you are doing. Not to do what someone else is doing, but he's calling you to do whatever you are doing. You're submitting your will. This is, God, all I got. I mean, think about this. Think about how awesome you are not. And yet God says, I want all of your lack of awesomeness. I'll take it. The way you smell the way your breast stinks, the way you say you're going to do something and you don't do it, the way that you act with praise and worship, you will worship God with one lip and, and then with the same mouth as well, you will, will curse your neighbor. God is saying, I want all of those things. I want you to lay down your will. You think you're going to do this with your education and you're not. It's mine. This is what I'm going to do. You think, oh, that's your money. It's not your money. It's God's money. You think those are your kids. They're not your kids. They're God's kids. It's not your husband, your wife. They're all God's. And they are on loan for you to engage, for us to engage in mission of the gospel. Man, I deeply desire to be a a part of a gospel-centered church. But I realize that it's only going to happen when we start acting like gospel-centered Christians when no one else is looking.
This needs to be a place where you can fail, but not stay there. It needs to be a place where your pastors can fail and not stay there. Because it's centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stand with me.